Cut, and this is The K-Cut. I'm Rachel, and I write for Films Fatale. I love classic cinema, the golden age of Hollywood, I love silent films and lost movies, and I have two other people with me. Introduce yourselves. No. Anyway, my name is Andreas. I am uh, the creator and one of the head writers over at Films Fatale. I love art house and international cinema, with a little bit of everything in between. Uh, who else is here with me, if, uh, if you dare follow that up? <laughs> James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one half of the Prefer Not to Say podcast. I've also contributed to Films Fatale, and my primary interests include No Budget Cinema and 70s Cinema. So, it was my pick for this week's episode, and I decided to kind of dig up the old celluloid versus digital debate. Because who doesn't love a good conversation about digital versus analog? Yay! Especially in this field, because I feel like, um, like when I was in my undergrad, and we were studying uh, more technical or philosophical sides of film. A certain film came out called Avatar, and there was like a certain discussion that kept coming up again and again and again. Is this cinematography? Is this shot? Because a lot of it was digitally created. And, I mean, at this point, it's so old. It's 13 years old, and the second one still hasn't come out yet, but it it almost has. But the point is, that discussion is still up for debate, and even more so uh, ever since, well, for the longest time, but that film particularly, something that rings out of my mind as like, you know, this big question, which format to use. So why did you pick this this conversation? Because if I'm not mistaken, you're for either. So it's really interesting you bring up Avatar because I wasn't thinking of anything that involved animation for this. Mm-hmm. I was purely thinking capture medium because there's this really weird argument and, and, it, and it comes a lot from people who are usually like pro-celluloid and some people are often pretentious about it and I find it weird. I am one of those people, 100%. Uh, <laughs> well, at least you're self-aware. But it's just one of those things where I kind of, the conversation for me ended in 2014 and I both of my picks for this episode are from 2014. But I just, I kind of look at it as, you know, they're just tools. Like if you use them correctly, you can tell great stories. I mean, on one hand, it's like, you know, cellular's always been like the go-to format for like since the beginning. And obviously it has its, you know, great qualities. But I mean, like digital has brought us things that wouldn't be imaginable. I mean, think of films like Watchmen or Sin City that were considered unfilmable before digital. Exactly. And, uh, you know, to go to your point, uh, this whole discussion as to what film is, um, for a lot of people, a lot of purists, and this came out a lot with the uh, the Avatar debate, um, film is, you know, light through celluloid, you know, this projected image as opposed to the video format or the digital format. But, uh, again, to your point, digital has brought out a lot of stuff that photography or cinematography as, as old can't, but vice versa. They both have their own pros and cons. Right. It's also, it's also brought down costs. I mean it's become more accessible to so many more people who can tell their stories. I mean, I, you know, I'm the guy who's really into no budget film. If it weren't for digital, I mean, how far would we come along in that kind of spectrum? I mean, anybody can pick up pretty much anything and shoot on it. I mean, we've got movies on iPhones and as far as I'm concerned, you could take a, you could make a movie using video shot on like a flip phone from 2005. If it's good, I'll watch it. So I decided to just make it, you know, just each half right down the middle, we're going to pick a 
film that you think is a great example of one shot on celluloid. And then the second half, we're going to do a film that is a great example of digital cinematography. Sounds great. So who wants to go first? Rachel, how about you? Sure. So film first, right? Yes. Okay. So I didn't really, you could go with an old film because any film before a certain date is automatically going to be made on film. But I wanted something where somebody had the option to make a movie on film or digital and opted for film because that is now a deliberate artistic choice. So I decided to go with Todd Haynes' Carol. Now, Todd Haynes basically lives in a Douglas Cirque movie. He goes for all the luscious colors, all the vintage stuff. And this movie is the Hainesiest Haynes that ever Haynes. <laughs> it is made on film. It captures 1951 absolutely beautifully. It's got the brightest colors. It's a luxurious looking movie. And I think that the decision to, if he'd made it on digital, it would not have been nearly as good because he had to capture that feeling to bring forward the setting, the environment these characters lived in, how it changed their love story. And... It's an absolute treat to look at at the same time. Of course, obviously, everybody brings their A-game, including the two leads. But yeah, I think if it hadn't had Todd Haynes' specific aesthetic, it wouldn't have been nearly as successful. That's an interesting choice because I feel like my pick, which I'm going to get into eventually, a lot of the choices to go filmic or you know to go analog now are to capture that retro feeling. So like, uh, I'm pretty sure The Love Witch is shot on film. Uh, I know The Lighthouse is. That definitely is. Um, mm -hmm. And those are meant to look like older film. I don't think that's what Todd Haynes is doing. I think he's trying to film it his own way, but also just use film. So it's nostalgic, but it's not purely gimmickly nostalgic. And I feel like that's important. No, I'd agree. But I do think it lends it a certain authenticity for the period he's trying to convey. And the setting is so important to that particular story. Exactly. So it's not trying to look like the era, but it's trying to feel like the era. And I feel like that's why it's such a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never seen it. Oh, you should. Oh, James, you'd really enjoy it. And Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara are both amazing. And the film, if I'm not mistaken, didn't get nominated for Best Picture, which I think is... Still sacrilegious to this day. <laughs> that caused quite a bit of controversy at the time, both Best Picture and um, Haynes not making it to director, and also Mara being in supporting for some reason. Yeah, because the film's kind of hinged more around her than it is Blanchette, but okay, sure, Academy, do you. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it is what it is, but I think that's a great film. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's my pick. Cool. James, what about you? Alrighty, so I decided to go with Christopher Nolan's Interstellar. Okay, I knew there was a Nolan film uh, arriving at some point. I wasn't sure if it was that or Dunkirk, but uh, sure, why that one? Yeah, so I obviously got to pick Nolan. He's he's one of the the you know the guys who's really champions the cellular format, and I picked this one because, and the reason why it kind of like topped out the argument for celluloid as a format is because he shot this on IMAX format, which is a seventy millimeter format, and he really takes advantage of the size aspect that film can like celluloid can bring. Like you just think about all the wide shots he has and just, especially combined with the practical effects, just like he's got all these different worlds he's trying to conceive and it, you know, it's designed to be shown on like the biggest screens, which is, you know, one of the big you know highlights of shooting celluloid. And I just think it's just an overall good example of the format still succeeding 
because it's it's not going anywhere and it's not you know digital isn't really designed to necessarily replace it but i think someone with nolan at the helm he knows how to push it to its limits and i think that's where this film succeeds you know it's like ever since he started his career it seems like all the films he does just seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger like even with how you know grandiose like interstellar was it seemed like dunkirk succeeded it or superseded it in scope and it's larger than part to how he shoots it's like the shots get wider everything gets bigger and you know just he was actually you know actually to go back further earlier into his career with memento he opted to shoot standard 35 millimeter as opposed to 35 mil or super 35 which was common in those days because he knew he knew how to actually utilize it properly to get the shots that he got in that movie because that for a simple film that film is shot amazingly and i think it's his knowledge of how you're supposed to use celluloid as opposed to just it's like oh we're just capturing things it's like no like he understands the format you know because that's important with all tools you have to understand the format exactly so yeah that's that's really all i got to say about it it's just like it's it's a big film and it warranted being big with the format he chose. And also I saw it in theaters. It looked really great on the big screen. Oh yeah. Like it's hard to watch it like on a oh, yeah. small TV screen. Cause it's like, this needs to be bigger. I would honestly recommend holding out for a screening of that film. Cause it's that good. I actually saw it in theaters twice. And I did the uh, 70 millimeter of, um, of Dunkirk as well. That there's something, you know, watching older films on film is one thing, you know, especially when it's well, like a copy that's been properly preserved. But in the case of Dunkirk, where there aren't any scratchers, there's, like, no blemish of any kind, oh, my God, does it pop. So, like, I'll never forget, like, the Tom Hardy plane scenes, like, just, like, the blistering blue seas that are just, like, leaping off the screen. And um, yeah, Interstellar was similar, especially, like, the black hole sequences. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's weird. I was a young adult uh, when we kind of shifted over from mostly film to entirely digital and I kind of miss the blemishes now because remember you would go to the movies and there'd be a little flicker on the screen and I don't know. There was something nice about that. The little uh, cigarette burns to show when to change, when the, to reels. change the reel. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Which uh, make uh, mimicked by the way, if you watched that and you're wondering what those uh, little circles yes, were. I remember that. I was like, <laughs> David Fincher, you oh, tried yeah. really hard there. Yeah. Uh, I, I miss them as well. So like, uh, one of my favorite filmic experiences was seeing La Holland Drive like around my birthday. I think it was like a day before my birthday. And I've seen that movie at least 50 times. And that felt like I was watching it for the first time again. Especially because you could see when the reels were changing over. The flicker. Yeah, the little dust specks. Everything. I, I love it. Well, Andres, if you'll permit me to derail this for a second, I do want to plug the Nitrate Picture Show Film Festival in Rochester, New York. It's usually held in the spring. And it's one of the very, very few places in the world where you can see movies on nitrate film, which is gorgeous and incredibly dangerous, but they take lots of safety precautions, so don't worry about that. And it is just a lovely experience. So if anybody's looking for a really special film-on-film film experience, go to that festival. It is wonderful. That's a bucket list type thing for me. I sadly have not been able to, but hopefully next year or the year after or soon, I'll be able to. You have done it, correct? Yes, I went in 2016. Can you please explain, because apparently this is why they call it the silver screen, what it looks like to watch a nitrate film, because it's apparently untouchable and there's nothing like it. 
I don't want to say it sparkles because that would imply it looks like a Twilight vampire, but there is a certain special light to it that I can't really explain that is almost a sparkle. And if it's colorful, like we watched an old Technicolor musical, like the colors pop. And it's just, it's kind of gritty in a way that modern film movies are not. It's really interesting. I don't remember if you brought it up, but unfortunately, nitrate is actually illegal in Canada. So, yeah, there's, like, no chance yep. in hell if we stay here that we'll ever see it, probably. Nowhere in Canada it's is it legal to screen because you need absolutely insane safety measures to screen it. But they think there are three or four theaters in the U.S. that do it. Uh, in case the term nitrate is familiar and you, you don't know exactly what type of film that is, and this is new to you, but the word sounds familiar... Chances are you heard about it in Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. That's what, that's what they used to set the theater on fire. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it did cause a few theater fires back in the day. Uh, many. Many theater fires and uh, arc- archive fires and all sorts of stuff. But speaking of Tarantino, that's where I'm going with this. So I wanted to pick <laughs> modern as well uh, because I, I felt the same way as you, Rachel. The decision to shoot with film is kind of what's very interesting about this episode. So I actually went with another film that I saw on film in a theater, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and my goodness, that what a good was, pick. oh yeah, that was just, did either of you see it on film? No, no, I saw it in theaters, but not on film as far as I know. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I saw a digital production as well. That, I saw it opening night, like I made sure, like I, I was like, I specifically want this, and oh, it was, it was so worth it, so worth the wait, and um, what I love about it is that, like um, like Nolan, he clearly shot this knowing how to go about this and what the focal points should look like and, and everything. And not oversaturating, not underdoing, you know, because some people will use 3D, but they don't really know how to work it, so they use too much or too little. Um, it's the same thing with, with working with film, but my goodness, I adore 60s cinema, and I'm not... I'm sure you guys feel the same way where you're aware of camera movements and sound and stuff to the point that you'll never buy fully into the illusion of some things. Like this is a film from the seventies, but it's not, it was made in 2017. Like, but I'm telling you for those three hours, I was as fooled as I could possibly be when it comes to this. Like I knew it wasn't filmed in the sixties, but damn it, if it felt really close. I agree. It really did. Like the colors, the way that they, uh, I mean, it won production design, didn't it? Which it absolutely deserved. It was just every detail felt as close as possible as it could to the 60s. Oh, yeah. It's just, when it comes to, like, modern stuff, uh, two films po- come to mind when it comes to shooting on film. Um, the Lighthouse, which I brought up earlier, and this one, I feel like are two of the greatest answers to that type of gimmick in the 2010s. Absolutely. And Tarantino's always been a champion of film. Like oh, yeah. he's he 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 said that every movie he'll makes will be shot on it. He said, I remember what was it because he has the movie theater. Or was it the I forgot what's it called? The New Beverly. I think. Well, he he said he, he there's a quote to him saying as long as I'm rich, there will be a theater that projects film. So it's like he's counting, you know, for as long as he's around, he'll he will still project things on film. And uh, he's only he's only experimented with digital once. And it's actually a film I referred to earlier. He did a guest. He was a guest director on Sin City. And that's the only time he's ever worked with digital. Oh, OK. And he's like, tried it once. Never again. <laughs> well, he's he's he said that if he were to, it would be for like a, he'd probably do it as like a ser- for a series. 
he wouldn't do a movie with it. Like if he did, if he just sometime did a TV series, he would consider it. But as far as like a feature film goes, no chance. Now that he's a father of young children, I am desperately waiting for his first children's movie. And only children's huh. film, because it's going to be his 10th <laughs> and he's going to retire. So <laughs> I await his Hugo, let's say. Oh, man, can you imagine Tarantino Hugo? Except it would probably be in like spaghetti westerns and full of gore. But maybe the gore isn't graphic. Maybe it's just like insinuated so children can still watch it or something. Like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm sure Quentin Tarantino is listening to us right now and stroking his chin and going, hmm, so, so work on that. <laughs> Maybe I won't do Star Trek. <laughs> no, but uh, uh, speaking of digital, I guess now we should probably foray into that medium. So, um, yeah, uh, same order? Sure. Okay, uh, Rachel, what is your digital film that you want to select? Well, it's funny that I was making fun of David Fincher earlier in this episode because I am going with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which, along with another Ooh. movie I cannot remember right now, was the first ever all-digital cinematography nominee at the Oscars. It was 2008. And this one's interesting because it's digital and yet it spans so many different times and so many different settings. And it has to convey so many different moves because the movie's like a million years long. And... They're also dealing with all the special effects related to Brad Pitt's character's situation. Uh, it's about a man who ages backwards, so he's born an old man and dies a baby. And I just think that they handled all of these transitions with aplomb, and they also effectively captured all of the p- stuff that takes place in the past. I think it starts in the 1920s in this version. And... Yeah, I just think that it's a very good example of skillful cinematography. The love scenes with him and Kate Blanchett look gorgeous. The cold nights when he's in Murmansk are genuinely chilly. Like, just really, really competently done. Oh, yeah, and it's funny that you bring up that film because uh, Slumdog Millionaire was the first all-digital film to ever win by picture. Slumdog Millionaire! It even won! Oh, my God. Yep. Uh, the same year. Mm-hmm. Which, apparently, that was actually mixed. There was actually some 35 millimeter work on that. It was just like a good majority of it was digital. Everything in Mumbai was for shot. For Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah, for Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but then, uh, okay, so Curious Case was entirely. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, yes. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Curious Case would also be uh, Curious Case when it came to Criterion. I, I remember that was the first one I ever got, and it was like released as that, like a standard... It's a joke. A standard like Blu-ray case and everything. But anyway, back to the topic at hand. Um, what I like about this example is, first off, if I'm not mistaken, it's written by the same guy who did Forrest Gump, but it also feels like um, Fincher's answer to not only Spielberg, but also Zemeckis. And Zemeckis is also somebody who always tries to push the forefront with technology and see how far they can go. So if there was ever a film that Fincher did that with, this makes the most sense. And it is kind of a Forrest Gump story, you know? It's a guy who goes everywhere and encounters everybody so yeah i i'm not totally sold on it as a film i basically only watch it because i adore kate blanchett but yeah it does look great i will give it that it's got its qualities yeah is that because kate blanchett uh played and won an oscar for being Catherine hepburn in the aviator that's where it started yes (laughs) (laughs) no she is an amazing actress and actually the aviator is a very good example because you've got that green red duotone thing going on so true true but that that could be another episode (laughs) that's a completely different episode james what about you so i like rachel picked a david fincher film also Uh (laughs) i decided to go with david fincher's gone girl oh i knew you were gonna say that 
Such a good film. So the reason I picked this was it was shot all digitally, but it was also, I believe, the first one to be shot in 6K digital format. Uh, Interesting. Because the, the digital format up until then, everything was being shot in 4K. So th- there seems to be some confusion. I notice amongst people when we talk about like 4K and HD and all that stuff. And a lot of people don't realize the reason for going up and you know expanding how many pixels you have isn't necessarily for quote unquote quality it's for presentation purposes the more pixels when you blow it up on a big screen you don't lose anything right because if you were to, if you were to blow up like 1080 up on a movie theater screen it looks awful but also the amount of pictures you can kind of preserve a lot of things and yeah i mean yes you get more detail but it's like you know when the expanded pixels are shown on smaller screens, you notice it's like a little bit tighter and it's like you get a little bit of sharper image. So it's like there are some quality things that go in there. But with him shooting in 6K, just everything in this movie just looks so clean and crisp and not in like a stale way, but just I don't know how to describe it. It's just like everything. It's it's almost like if you took like imagine doing a an adult coloring book, but with like oil paint. Mm, okay. Right. That's the best way I can describe it. It's like you know, it's, it's kind of like something modern, but at the same time, it's like you know, it's so pristine that it's almost like something. It's it's a, you know, it's constructed in a way where it's like you know, it, was this really digital? Because you know, he's always been like a big champion of digital since like he first was able to get his hands on it, and I think this just goes to shows the mastery of the cinematography you can do on there because it's like everything looks so great. I mean, all his films look great. And just with the color palette she chooses, but this one in particular was just like, I don't know. It's like, it, it, another way to describe it is like if you were to get like a like a Hostess cupcake versus like one made in like an actual bakery. Yeah, it's almost like that. Like it, it's like nothing ever looks cheap, and just you know, just the camera work and just the, like I what, seeing this in theater was just like, man, it, it's 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 a mastery over digital to where you don't realize it is digital. And I, I think he's really good at that. Like, I mean, we also saw him emulate film with bank. Right. Yes. Like it's it just, just there's no limits to him with this format. And he's very, you know, cause a lot of people know him. It's like, he is literally the captain of a ship in film. Like he has his hand in literally everything. And he's very, very picky, even down to the slightest details. Like he's even explained, like, it's like he'll change a person's hair color. And I would say he's one of the best filmmakers in Hollywood for assembling a team. Like, whenever you yes. see a movie, you know every aspect will be top-notch because he's got the best. Oh, yeah. And his casserole is great. But, yeah, it's just like, you know, he he does digital in a way where it's not overbearing. Like, there, you'll see – I'll watch behind the scenes. You'll see breakdowns of things where it's like he'll he'll put, like, a desk that wasn't in a room or, like, something small or just, like, change someone's hair color or change the slightest color. And it's like – it's it's like Kubrick level perfectionism, but he has more to work with because he's in the digital space, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, yeah, there was actually a documentary he was in uh, where he was talking about because uh, at one point at digital, there was somebody who came out with a camera that was set up like a film camera, and it had a it had an actual like it, they emulated a film cartridge, but it was a hard drive mm-hmm. because there was this worry that they were going to lose jobs. And he, they showed him the camera. He's like, "Oh, this is like your negative." He's like, "My negative. I just want my film. Like, this isn't going to processing." You know, because the, the advantage of digital, you can just like load it up right away with, with you know, the photochemical processes like you have to process film. Right. 
Exactly. Like there's an entire process behind it, but this, things like this eliminate it. And, you know, it's like, it's how he can able, you know, there was that story of, um, what was it? A social network where, uh, the opening scene was, he did 99 takes. You can't do that with film. Oh my God. He's one of those. <laughs> yeah. It's not all the time, but yeah, no 99 takes for that one scene. And that's the one with, uh, Rooney and, uh, Zuckerberg and, and she's mad at him because, uh, or she breaks up with him and he posts crap about her on the internet, right? Yeah, it was, it was when they were at the, yeah, they were at the bar or whatever yeah. and, uh, he insulted her for where she went to school. Right. Well, on the topic of David Fincher, I also, oh, okay, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I went with somebody, uh, a filmmaker who's similarly as cold and brooding. Um, when I think of digital, there's like one film that comes to mind. That just looks amazing and, and to me feels like kind of like the future of where this could go. Almost like digital being used in like a filmic sense, like an old analog celluloid sense. Does that make sense? Um, it's Annihilation by Alex Garland. I absolutely love how this film looks and its use of blending, um, what's shot digitally with like, you know, high end red cameras and everything, but also with like what's, digitally created and i feel like the use of the cgi but also the way that it is shot so it complements the cgi that's what makes this type of stuff age well a lot of people wonder why a lot of cgi just looks really gaudy or just it doesn't age too well it's because oftentimes the films aren't shot to make the the space look like it's believable and i'll tell you what i mean so when you animate these uh, creatures or spaces, you have to ensure that the lighting on the real shot aspects matches what's being digitally created. And, um, yeah, just like, I don't know what it is about Annihilation. I, I, I could tell a lot of it is obviously like digitally created, but it's the way that it is shot with everything digital around it. It just feels seamless to me. That makes sense. I think, this is a case where the digital enhances what was captured on camera. Exactly. Where it's like the, the animation, it's like it kind of ebbs and flows. I think because when you talk about things that are shot, because I, I, have, I haven't seen anything from what the set looked like. But when you look at something like, and I haven't seen this one, but when you look at something like Gravity and how Alfonso Cuaron enlisted, you know, obviously the, the great Emmanuel Lubezki. <laughs> and he, he won the Oscar for it. Yep. He won cinematography. Everything was on a green screen, but he understood how to shoot it like a film, yeah. despite the green sheen. Like mm-hmm. you, you still have to use practical a practical approach when doing digital because it's like it's almost like a music where we kind of adopted like this fix it in the mix type of thing. You can't do that with everything in film. No, well, Jurassic Park still holds up, and it's almost as old as we are. That's true, but. What's great about that, and I'm pretty sure there are dinosaurs that are CGI. A lot of them weren't, but if you, I mean, I would have to rewatch it again. It's been a very long time. I, I think it's all animatronics. Well, that's the thing. Are they actually all animatronics? There yeah. was a lot of digital work done on them. I know that for sure because it was a very pioneering thing at the time. It and Forrest Gump were both uh, kind of lauded for digital in ways you might not expect. Well, that's the thing with oh, Forrest Gump. So, like. Uh, I'll shit on the film a lot because I feel I feel like it's like not the greatest. I feel like it's fine, but I'll say this: the film as a technological achievement is actually really, really good. It's mm-hmm. really good, like especially like the uh, like the retro footage and stuff. 
most films can't really get that to look right. There's something about Forrest Gump that's like actually kind of convincing. And Lieutenant Dan's legs. Oh yeah, actually that's a very fair point as well. Um, a lot of uh, when it comes to that sort of stuff where you're um, replacing or disappearing limbs or uh, parts of a person's body, a lot of that is not done convincingly as well. And why is it so convincing? Because Gary Sinise, his performance enhances it. And that's kind of the point. And that's why I chose something like Annihilation again, where it's not so much just what's created in post, it's also what's created on the set and how it was shot on the set. So they knew it would benefit what would come later. So, yeah, do I feel like Annihilation is in the same company as stuff like Forrest Gump and Gravity? Absolutely. It's like I said, it's, you know, you know, it's their tools. If you use them correctly, you can make anything. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. And uh, now we're going to list off a bunch of films that uh, I actually don't remember if they're film or digital uh, but speaking of digital, uh, that's where you can find us in the digital space. That's right. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut. And you can find out what we've been talking about and what we will be talking about soon. Um, and for Cinematic Smorgasbord, our collective film is The Cat Returns. And our films that we picked individually are L'Age d'Or, Schizopolis, and the one I assigned to James, which was The Bicycle Thieves. Amazing. A little bit of everything. All right, so what do we want to do for our weekly recommendations? Well, sometimes I fit, I pick a movie to fit with the theme, but in this case, it was just a movie that's been on my mind. I think a clip popped up in my YouTube feed, and that is Promising Young Woman. Mm. I know we discussed it extensively during the Oscars, but it is still an excellent movie, very daring, very fierce, and also one that I think, like many of the movies we've described tonight, is perfectly assembled. It's just a splendid film. That was a really good film. I think it also tackled the that specific subject matter that they tackled. They did it the right way. Yes, I'd agree. Which a lot of films who try to do that don't do it very well. well that's and Perry Mulligan was A+. plus. Oh, yeah. And that's also kudos to Emerald Fennell, who um, had such an interesting but tasteful approach. Chase, what about you? All right. So I'm going to go with the documentary Side by Side, which is a documentary about this very conversation we've been having. It's oh. the Analog versus Digital. It was uh, co-produced, narrated by, and also starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, it features James Cameron, David Fincher, David Lynch, Robert Rodriguez, Martin Scorsese, Steven Soderbergh. So pretty much the perfect cast of characters to have these have this conversation. Oh, yeah. No, I've heard of that film, and I've been wanting to see it for the longest time. But I'm going to have to check that out. For me, it's kind of on the topic, and I'll explain why. It seems like such a on-the-nose, obvious, kind of just like whatever pick. I'm going to go with Francis Ford Coppola's Godfather, and I'll tell you why. So I was working a tip at Shift. Sorry. I was working a Shift at Tiff, and they're actually showing it in 4K. So you know that opening shot where it's like the opening monologue, and it's like that close zoom, and it's pulling out? That looked pretty fine. Because it was a, an extreme close-up and it was pulling out. But as soon as you, I, as soon as I saw Brando as Corleone and I could like count every wrinkle, I could see every every freckle. Oh my god, the 4K hype is real. <laughs> so I just felt like that was an interesting way to go about it. A 50-year-old film that has been digitally restored. Um, I mean, what a better way to, to end this pod, right? That was the K cut, and now we are going into the L cut.